Welcome to the Payoff Pitch, presented by DNL Professional Window Tinting on Phantom Radio. I'm Paul Valley, and joining me today is Glenn Clark from Pressbox. Glenn, how are you doing today? Great, man. Thank you for having me, Paul. Really appreciate it. Good to be here. Thrilled to have you, man. And the Orioles, they got off to that hot start. They started four and one this year, and they've since then they've lost ten of thirteen games. Yeah. Uh, still seven and eleven. They're ahead of the Red Sox in division, which is always <laughs> nice, and they're ahead of last year's pace. What are your thoughts on the season so far? About what you'd expect. Look, the four and one start was fun, Paul. Right? Like I think we all enjoyed it, especially when you're going up to New York and getting. I mean, who doesn't? That's a lot of fun to win two games in New York to start the season. So obviously it was pleasant. I think we all knew this was going to be a year of sort of taking some medicine at some point. And I think the positives, the fact that the team appears to be playing hard, that's doing some of the small things, being aggressive on the base path, things along those lines that we hadn't seen necessarily in recent years. I think that is far more important than where the record is. I think we all knew what we were right. getting this year, and so the record to me just wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I think the positives that you're seeing are good because I think we're judging more. I think this year is more about judging Elias and Hyde than it necessarily is about judging these individual players because I think we're all working into the assumption by the time this thing kind of comes together, the majority of these players are not going to be the guys that are going to be here. Right. I, I would tend to agree with that. And one of the things I said on our first show when we first started doing this show was that you don't want to look at wins and losses or the results of games when you're, when you're judging this team, but more so are they playing hard? Are they playing fundamental baseball? Yep. Is the defense good? And I also said that it's important to see how many one- and two-run games they're playing because those are really going to be an indicator for how close a team is to competing. And through 17 games, they played eight one- or two-run games, and they're four and four in those games. I think what you're talking about, their competitiveness, and again, I keep going back to that, it's easy to watch a team quit, and I think you see a lot of teams um, that have real major league players with uh, contracts that don't care about anything. I think you can see when things go wrong for them, it's easy. Last to, year. Exactly right. It's easy to kind of quit a little bit. Um, I didn't expect that with this team. I thought this was going to be a team that was hungry. I think we're seeing that so far. Again, good. What you're talking about, there's no way to judge this team on wins and losses. You're just going to be disappointed in it. Right. This was not going to be a year about trying to win. If, if somehow some magical thing had come together that had led to that happening, we would have all enjoyed it. It would have been a lot of fun. But it wasn't practical to think that way. So to see those things as we try to figure out, are the changes that are happening from the top, is the, the look at more analytics you know, than maybe we'd seen in recent years? Do we see that transcending to the baseball field? Do we see some of the vision of Brandon Hyde coming into play? And again, it's a very small sample size so far. But I think for those things, you'd say so far, yeah, okay, you know, check for the most part. We like some of that stuff, and let's see what else comes along as the year goes on. And, and again, not get caught up in they might have another stretch where they lose you know, all of their games in the course of a week. Like That type of stuff is going to happen. Right. I mean, we all know that they're not a very good baseball team, but you can talk about the positives and uh, playing hard and being competitive. And we can talk all day about Trey Mancini. I think he leads the Orioles in every offensive category that doesn't include speed. Um, but then there's guys like Renato Nunez and Dwight Smith Jr. I yep. mean, Nunez in his last seven games hit 345. Uh, he went seven for 18 in that Boston yep. series. Dwight Smith, his last seven, is in 280 with a 379 on base percentage. You know, he only had three hits in that Boston series, but he also had three walks, and he drove in six runs. Mm -hmm. These are guys that, you know, when you're talking about the Orioles and who they have in the minors, you're not necessarily thinking of these guys. But the Orioles going to call lightning in the bottle with those two players. So the other thing I think that's really big about that, Paul, is that I think with those guys specifically, you end up perhaps putting yourself in a situation where it's found money. So, again, we know what this team is headed towards at the end of the year. But if they can find a guy like that that maybe you didn't think was going to be somebody that would be particularly productive, but they can make them valuable before July 31st. Again, this year, come on, this is a wash this year. 
But if you can turn a Dwight Smith Jr. into a player that another team now looks at and says, he could help us right now, and we'll give you something of quality for that, that is utter found money. Like, you created that out of nowhere. That's a huge win, again, for the bigger picture of the franchise and where you're trying to go and get more talent into it and and build this thing up over three, four years, which isn't to say, like, hey, if Dwight Smith stuck around for a little while, that's a good problem to have, too. But I think that for finding players that you didn't expect to have a lot of value that could end up having value, I think we all look at VR right now. I think a year when they made that trade a year ago, the majority of us said, why would you acquire a major league second baseman in a Jonathan Scope deal? Like, why would that be what this franchise is looking to do? Well, as it turns out, they're in pretty great shape at the moment with VR that they could spin him again this year at the trade deadline and get a couple of perhaps decent parts because he's checking most of the boxes right now. So that found money thing, I think, is a big deal for this franchise at the moment because they don't have a lot of assets to use to acquire more process or more prospects. Easy for me to say. I talk for a living. More <laughs> prospects in order to keep building this thing up. Right. And- uh, you're saying found money and you're talking big picture, and it's hard to talk about money and big picture without talking yeah. about Chris Davis, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. So Chris Davis, as we all know, he set a major league record for consecutive at-bats. Did he do with, that? With, I missed that somehow. Yeah, yeah, we all Why didn't anybody that. talk about that? That's right? weird. So he set that record. He also set a record for consecutive hitless plate appearances, yeah. Yeah. Um, which plate appearances and batting and at-bats, not the same thing, but similar. Um, but then he goes into Boston, and he has a two RBI single in the first in the first inning of that second game. Uh, he ends up getting three hits that game. He homers in the last game of the series. Goes four for twelve with three extra base hits and six RBIs yep. in that game. Kind of a John Wick reference. Are we saying he's back? <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, I'm Wick and I'm back. No, I don't think that's the. I don't think that's quite the case yet with Chris Davis. But I get it, and I understand that you want to have optimism because at this point, like two weeks ago, all we were thinking was this is headed towards the Orioles have no choice but to just eat a ton of money and claim this to be the worst free agent signing in the history of perhaps all of American sports. Uh, Um, So the idea that you can get anything, that even he could be like a facsimile of what Chris Davis had been a couple of years. I'm not talking about 53 home run Chris Davis, Mm -hmm. but if he could even be a guy that's going back to hitting 220 and getting on base a little bit, you'd almost take that as if to say at least it's something. You know, at least it's something more than what you've gotten. Um, You know, I I think we all saw the last few at-bats of the horrid stretch were better. I think right. we saw him hit the ball on the nose a bunch of times, the long fly ball to center field. The, you know, he was hitting into the shift a couple times, but hitting it hard into the shift. I think you could sense that it was coming. All of my Red Sox fan friends were joking that, you know, as atrocious as they've been, they're like, we know we're going to be the team that ends up, you know, it's such a bizarre thing what's going on with the Red Sox, particularly Chris Dale to start the season. But I'm not ready yet to say that Chris Davis is back. I still think that he's closer to the guy he was a year ago, which was one of the worst offensive seasons in the history of baseball, um, just not a guy that was going to go an entire season without getting a single hit. Like, that was never going to happen. Right. So Even in that hard season last year, he still had a five-game hitting streak right. at one point, so right. he was able to knock the ball out of the park. So, I mean, he's a major league baseball player. He can still hit the ball. But if I had but... to bet, we're going to have that Chris Davis conversation again, you know, in the next month or two. Like, I don't think that conversation is going away about is there a point at which the Orioles have to just completely cut ties and accept this as an an utter historic loss. I'm going to guess that at some point we're going to look down. Like Ryan Mountcastle's off to a pretty good start right now. Right. I think we're going to start looking around. And it's not right now, but within a few months, I think that conversation will creep back up. Well, and speaking of that, um, is there any chance that Chris Davis sees the end of this contract in Baltimore? I don't think the end of it. I, don't, I think that's you know crazy. I know we're, we're not talking about five years at this point. We're only mm-hmm. talking about a few years. I, 
the, the best argument you can make is, look, they're not really trying to win. I get it. They can't say that. You know, like no one from the Orioles can ever publicly come out and say we're not trying to win because if they happen to win, they would be great, right? They'd love to win. But that's not what this year is about. We all know that. We're smart enough to have figured that out. In that context, does it hurt you to keep rolling Chris Davis out there to see if he can't, you know, do what he's done the last few days and to kind of become a little bit of a Chris Davis again in hopes that maybe at some point you could get something if you are willing. you got to eat the contract one way or the other. Right. If you're willing to eat a lot of the contract, is there a point at which Chris Davis has a good month and there's another team that says, all right, we'll take a flyer on him, give you something. You're going to have to eat the contract either way. Now you're going to eat most of the contract, but at least get a player in return. Right. That's clearly kind of the goal that, that they have. It's just a question of how long you can do that before you really feel like you're blocking someone. I know a lot of Orioles fans want to see Trey Mancini play first base. Uh, it gets more jumbled once Mark Trumbo comes back, and then you have another spot that's being taken by someone. I, I don't think there's a chance in hell that he plays at the end of the contract, but I do think this is going to be a fascinating. In a year in which wins and losses are not going to be the conversation, I think this is going to be a continued conversation that we're going to keep having. At what point Mountcastle's playing first base now? At what point do you say you really want to get him as far as offensive-wise? He, he needs to come to the major leagues that's the only position that we really believe he can play at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, the Mancini thing, then it's Mancini versus Mountcastle. Who do you think is the first baseman moving forward, right? I think those conversations are really interesting. Um, time-wise, I, I, look, if you asked me a week ago, I would have probably said it was happening this season, yeah. right? Maybe you this know, month. Correct. Exactly right. Um, maybe that stretches out a little bit. Maybe it's at the end of the year that you revisit that. I don't know, but I'd be stunned if Chris Davis played out the entirety of the deal. And you talk about Ryan Mountcastle. He's homered in back-to-back games down in uh, Norfolk. Uh, Trey Mancini having an incredible season, yep. all-star caliber season this year. Uh, you see all these younger players getting extensions and because they don't want to hit free agency. We've seen a free agency freeze the last two years in the offseason. These guys want to get locked up. They want to have that comfortability. Yeah. Is, Trey Mancini would seem the, the logical choice to lock up long-term, but you have all these outfield prospects in, in the minor leagues. You have... Ryan Mountcastle, who's a major league hitter who's trying to find a position right now, is Trey Man- does Trey Mancini have a position? It's a great question, Paul, and I think the bigger picture is right now, is Trey Mancini more valuable to the Orioles, or is he more valuable as an asset for the Orioles, right? Like, is Trey Mancini that guy that you look at and say, we like Trey, and clearly he's kind of the face of the team right now because of all the moves that happen, and look, he's you know, hitting the cover off the ball, he's had a great start of the season. But the Orioles look at him and say, ultimately, as far as this timeline realistically is considered, he just might be more valuable to somebody else with a smaller contract. The fact that he doesn't make a ton of money might be what makes him super valuable at the trade deadline or at the end of the season this year when somebody else is looking to add some money and not take on a lot of money. So I think that's a question they're going to be asking a lot of. And again, I think Mountcastle plays into that as well, which is, is Mancini the guy that you believe is your first baseman of the future, or do you think that Mancastle is your first baseman of the future? And if you do, then it gets a little bit redundant. It's sort of like the situation that you had with Davis and Trumbo a couple years ago, that you need guys with different skill sets and you don't really need two guys who can only play first base. And I'm not saying Trey can only play first base because he's you know, fine, been fine playing in the outfield, but he's not a high-level outfielder defensively. So I think that's a fascinating question they have to keep asking. I think that Trey's name is going to be one that, because it doesn't look like they're going to give him an extension ahead of time, Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be one that we're going to be talking about in trade conversations. Yeah, I mean, he has three years of team control left after this season. Super desirable for anybody. Like like we say, he doesn't necessarily have a position here. People have been asking, you know, the, the front office, Mike Elias in particular, 
why, who, who would be the next one you would extend? And he says, you know, we're not even in the realm of talking about right. that right now. Is he maybe thinking, maybe we can trade, trade Mancini? A lot of fans would probably be up in arms because he's your best player Today, right now. Today, right. He, but long term, we've been saying every show, trust the process. It's one of those things where if you can get some really great prospects for Trey Mancini, because he's got three years control, like you said, at a low number on the, on the salary, why would you not do that? It's, it's such a tough thing, man. Nobody really – look, we all, a year ago, I think as Orioles fans, everybody said, we're good, rebuild, we get it. This is the way it's going to have to go. I don't know that we fully understood exactly how painful that is. Mm-hmm. Like everybody thinks about the sexy nature of the Astros turning their rebuild, and they read Astro Ball, and they're excited about Sigmeidel, and they say – Look at how that worked out. Well, do you remember how bad things were those first couple of years? And I get it. They did have Jose Altuve throughout the entire stretch of the process. So it wasn't like it was all garbage. Mm-hmm. But do you remember just how bad? The Astros were a laughing stock. Watching your team lose 100 games for years in a row is difficult. It's hell. No matter who you are. As a, like, you're playing every night. You, know, you don't get to escape. This isn't football where like, you don't have to worry about it for a few days. Every night, the thing that keeps you company for the entire summer is just misery, right? Like, it is a really difficult thing. And so you're right. I think Orioles fans today would be up in arms about trading Trey Mancini. But from a practical standpoint, when do you think your timeline is? When do you think your window is for when this thing comes to fruition? Because I think the majority of us that look at it more practically would say, we don't know this is coming to fruition until, say, Adley Rutschman is at the major league level. And he's not even a part of the Orioles system today. So that's how long this timeline is. I think a lot of people are like hopeful of 2021. I think we're jumping the gun with that. I think it's more like 2022, 2023 Mm -hmm. when this thing is really coming to fruition, if it works. So if that's the case, does Trey Mancini make sense as part of that process? Again, we all like him, but when he comes up on a contract, is it going to make sense or is it more... Guys, we got to get what we can get, and as you know, we both talked about now, he's going to be a super desirable contract to try to acquire at the deadline if he keeps producing this way. He's going to be a guy that you're going to be able to get a few pieces for that could really help accelerate this process. Well, and I think that one thing that's going against Trey and staying here for the long term is that he's not 23 years old. Right. He's 27 years old, which right. isn't old. No. But when you're looking at a team that's rebuilding, and by the time that they're done, that their rebuilding is coming to fruition, he's going to be his early to mid-30s. Exactly. So that's probably going against Trey Mancini. So we'll see how that goes. Right now we're going to get a word from our sponsor. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some pitching. Uh, stay tuned for more with Glenn Clark. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth and even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting. And sitting in with me again is Glenn Clark from PressBox. Uh, Glenn, we talked a lot about the offense, namely Trey Mancini and Chris yeah. Davis in the first part of this show. Uh, let's move to the pitching because the Orioles right now, their starting pitching has been okay, save for Dylan Bunny. We'll talk about him in a minute. The bullpen has been pretty atrocious, but there's some good names in there. Uh, and there's a lot of guys who are really contributing at the minor league level who we can be excited about. Uh, coming up, and you had Zach Louther yes. on, on your show yesterday. Yep. 
what did you learn, learn from him and learn about him? You know, Zach, a couple things that really jumped out at me. I think Zach really turned heads. He was not a guy that was a top 10 prospect type two years ago. And then all of a sudden, a year ago at Frederick, he puts up a massive season. And people say, ooh, we should start paying attention to this kid. This kid looks the real deal. He was a college pitcher, obviously. He pitched Xavier, so he came along a little bit more. I think he's a bit more advanced. Um, Zach has always been somebody that's really impressed me in our conversations. He's funny. He sort of gets it. And I think that one of the things that he brought up that I liked the most was he's talking about how this rebuild has genuinely changed the atmosphere at lower levels and has added a level of competition that didn't previously exist. I think there were a lot of guys that were sitting around waiting. I think right now there's a lot of guys that are thinking they might be a couple of weeks away from making their major league debut now. And that excitement you know, that maybe we don't feel as Orioles fans right now because we're watching a team that's going to struggle. There's a newfound excitement at the lower level because there's a lot of guys that are sitting here thinking, I'm going to be a big part of this moving forward. I might not be shipped off to another organization for them to acquire a player at the trade deadline. I'm going to be the guy for this franchise moving forward. And, and a level of competition, he said, like, guys are talking about it. Uh, on a day-to-day basis, they're competing directly with each other. Like, hey, who's going to have the better week? Who's going to have the better month? Because they think that's the type of thing that could be coming. Um, Zach's a really impressive dude. His numbers speak for themselves. Absolutely. You know, outstanding season a year ago, and he's off to a great start again this year. I think he allowed two earned runs in his first two starts. Um, and he's a, you know, he was telling a great story about on Sunday – uh, he was getting ready to pitch, and it was also as uh, Tiger Woods was obviously finishing up the Masters, and he said, admittedly, like nobody was you know, in, in sync and ready to go to play a baseball game because everybody was thinking about what was going on in the golf tournament. And it, like, he's just f- humorous that way. I've really enjoyed the conversation with Zach, and I uh, appreciate you giving a plug to that. You can check it out at glennclarkradio.com. Yeah, and you were also talking about how you had, I think you had Keegan Aiken. Yeah, on Keegan Aiken on today, today yep. Mm-hmm. And Keegan Aiken and Zach Lowther, those are two big left-handed p- pitchers yep. that could be the future of the Baltimore Orioles. And they're putting up impressive numbers. Uh, Aiken has, what, 20 strikeouts in 11 innings through two starts It's absurd. Year? He had 10 strikeouts in his last start. And you, you told me what the number was. I already forgot it again. I think he threw 78 pitches, yes. 65 strikes that's in un- his last start. That's insane. That's unbelievable. Um, and he's doing it at the AAA level. So you're facing major league hitters at that right. point, right? And that's one of the big things now. I think in the past we saw more, and I know there was a lot of controversy about Chance Sisko and Austin Hayes in spring training, but I think we've seen more of the Orioles saying, look, we're going to do this graduation thing. You've got to dominate at one level, then we move you up to the next level. Aiken's one of those weird guys. I didn't realize this until today. You realize he spent every year of his career at a different level. Like He has yeah. not moved between levels at any point. He's just been a graduation guy. He went from low A ball for an entire season, high A ball for an entire season, double A for an entire season, and now it's his first year at AAA, and I think that's really helped him, and he was alluding to that, that there's a real benefit for him of just going from level to level, station to station, um, and then dominating that level before you move on to the next one, and I think that really helps, and I think the Orioles in general are trying to make that a part of this process is you go graduate, you don't just get moved because you know it's, it's time to move somebody or something along those lines. Um, yeah, I think what you allude to is, is huge, and it's why this, this thing whatever you want to call it, rebuild the process, uh, walk with Elias, whatever it is that you want to give it, there is reason for excitement on the pitching part of it. You still have Grayson Rodriguez behind that. You have D.L. Hall, who obviously has, has looked really impressive as well. There is more pitching in the system. I know we're going to be kind of snake-bitten because we're a reminder of all the pitchers that came through for years that never panned out to be the guys that we wanted them to be, but there's more pitching in the system right now, and you're combining that with a more analytical approach. You have high hopes for what that could end up being. Well, and speaking of guys who never became what you expect them to be, we have a guy who's starting every fifth day in rotation in Dylan Bundy. And, you know, right now I had a list of who's hot, who's not. 
And Bundy is in my who's not. Yeah. His ERA is right around eight. Yeah. He seems to be giving up home run after home run. Last year, he led the majors in home runs allowed with 41. This year, he leads the American League with seven home runs allowed. Every start, I'm hearing, I threw four bad pitches. I threw two bad pitches. Well, those pitches are ending up in the seat. Right. So right. what's he doing differently, or what should he be doing differently because it's not working. No, it's not working. And it's particularly frustrating because of how the season began a year ago and because, you know, we're a year removed from watching Dylan Bundy and thinking that it was coming to, you know, that excitement of maybe having an ace in the Orioles rotation, right? We joke about um, in towns where they have an ace, they call it like Chris Sale Day, although this year they're not doing that, obviously, in Boston. But in Seattle for years, it was Felix Hernandez Day. And it's been a really long time in Baltimore since we had Mike Messina Day, right? Like right. Where we genuinely the city showed up in droves more when that guy was pitching because there was real electricity. It has been a very long time. And for like a minute last year, we started to wonder, are we coming up on Dylan Bundy Day? Are we coming up on a day where everybody needs to come out to the ballpark because they know Dylan Bundy's pitching? No, is the answer to that question. Um, I, I wish I could tell you what's going on. And, and I know last night it was the fourth inning, obviously. And it's been, oddly, the fourth inning a few times mm-hmm. that has really gotten to him. And you know how you work around that, that... That, I guess, and all the positives we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation and how we're reflecting this on Elias and Hyde and their approach and bringing the Astro Ball concept into the system, Bundy's a guy to judge that. You were hoping, how many guys have gone to Houston in the last few years that we had either written off or had said maybe aren't great pitchers that showed up in Houston Justin Verlander, we started to think, was like on the back end of his career, right. right? I thought he was done. Yeah, and all of a sudden he shows up in Houston, and they get a hold of him, and they fix him, and he's a rock star again. He's the, one of the best pitchers in baseball. So I think that we were hoping, as Orioles fans, that as part of this Astro Ball concept, that maybe Elias and Maida were bringing some of that with them to Baltimore, and they could get their claws into a guy like Dylan Bundy and fix him and solve him based on their own analytical approach and what it is that they've seen and what they experienced in Houston. So maybe some of the disappointment is that I think, at least for me, maybe not for everybody, that was one of the things that I was going to kind of judge them by in the immediacy as they arrived is could they bring that Astro Ball version of fixing pitchers with them? And so far, the one guy that we were most hoping to see fixed, that's not been the case for. So you know, there's plenty of time, you know, clearly they're going to keep riding with it with Dylan Bundy. What else do you do at this point? Um, But I also think that Dylan Bundy, much like Kevin Gosman a year ago, would be a guy that other organizations would look at and say, let us get a shot. Let us have a chance to maybe see if we can't make it work, make it work with him. Well, right. And 26 years old, former first round pick, that that, that high velocity fastball is gone. It's long gone, right? He's lost six miles an hour on his fastball. And that's never coming back. But the thing about Dylan, we were always told that he was a gym rat, that he was a workhorse in the gym. And, look, I don't want to speculate about people's regimen or anything like that, but to me he just looks out of shape. I hear you. Um, you know, I, look, again, I can't speak to it directly either. I, I couldn't tell you. And I don't know how much he's even been asked about that so far this season. But I, I understand why you're wondering. I mean, like, I think we all see it, and we would say there's a reason for question about that. Is that the reason why it's gone? I, I don't know. I don't know enough well, to be able to say that. He gets in the last couple starts. You know, he gets through the first three innings, right. and he's cruising. Yep. And then the sweat starts pouring down the face, and then it's the fourth inning. It's like he's a three-inning pitcher. Right, and, and by the way, it's April. <laughs> like, it's right. not July, right? right. Like, it's right. not like when you would see you Darvish melt down in the Texas heat, right? Like, right. we're talking about a game that was played at 72 degrees last night in, in Tampa. Right. right, correct. So... You know, Dylan Bundy really struggling in the rotation. It's kind of been difficult to see, like you said. We've all been excited to see what he could do with this under this new regimen or this new regime. Excuse me. Uh, some guys we didn't expect to see pitching 
the way that they've been pitching. Andrew Kashner has been yeah. he's been a bulldog. You look at David Hess, he's pitched very well. John Means with that nasty changeup, he's pitched well. What are your thoughts on those three guys in the rotation? Uh, Hess, obviously everybody thinks of the, the no-hitter thing, and like that was the big <laughs> highlight. But in general, I, I liked a lot of what I saw from David Hess a year ago. Um, it doesn't going to overwhelm you with any of his stuff, but he battled. I think we all think of that first start against Tampa where he gave up the three-run homer, and we kind of all rolled our eyes and said, eh, all right, he'll be up here for a day, and then that'll be that for the David Hess experiment. And remember that day he battled back and threw six and two-thirds. Well, and, swept a doubleheader that Right. Day. Like, it was, it was a really, like, positive <laughs> sign about a guy who mentally could handle getting his butt kicked in the first inning of his first start and not drown over that. And David Hess is a guy, I've talked to him a number of times, I've been really impressed by him every time I talk to him. I don't think he's ever going to be a top-of-the-rotation pitcher, but I think what he's doing is exactly what makes him valuable for the Orioles. He's going to go out there and battle and compete every fifth day. Uh, clearly, you're in a different situation. On a winning team, you'd take that. On a winning team, you'd take a guy that just got you through and gave you a chance to win every fifth day. You'd say, you know, high fives all around. That's, that's, that's a positive, especially pitching in the American League East. That's a major positive. So I've liked what I've seen from David Hess. Yeah, Andrew Kashner, it was so disappointing a year ago, and you don't know how much of that was the late arrival. Um, you know, we've, we've tried to figure that out with pitchers when they get signed late in the process. How much does that affect them? And he wasn't literally, obviously, as late as uh, Alex Cobb was uh, signed in the process. But how much does that affect them and their offseason re- uh, regimen? We're going to do this regime regimen thing all day, by yeah, the way. Right. Um, but how much does that affect them? Maybe having a full offseason has really benefited Andrew Kashner of knowing where he was going to be and being able to talk to the guys that he needed to talk to. That might have been a real positive for him as well. And I think that the Orioles' rotation is... Kind of looking up this year, I mean, Alex Cobby makes one start, goes on the DL start. Uh, right. The IL, the IL. Right. I'm going to do that all year, too. Correct. Um, he started the year on the IL. He makes a start, goes back on the IL. He's going to be. He's going to start the game uh, on Friday at home against Minnesota, from what I saw. Uh, so the rotation looks like it, I don't want to say it's going to be strong, but it, they look to be better than they were last year. So, so yes. Right, I mean, it would be hard, hard, not, hard not to be better than they were a year ago. Um, and, I, again, I think this goes back into the conversation of can you make Alex Cobb valuable again, right? Like, can you make Andrew Kashner valuable again? Clearly, those guys aren't going to be part of this thing for the right. Orioles in a few years when this thing pans out. But can you make them valuable, which is tough, because then if you get rid of them, who you put in the rotation every fifth day, or you just calling upon Keegan Aiken. But the idea is in the next couple of months, can you get those two guys into a place and – Lesser with Trumbo on the offensive side because of when he's going to come back, you're going to have a short time period to try to make him valuable. But can you get those guys to a place where they're valuable come July to turn and spin those guys and make something out of them? Well, and it should, at the very least, make for better and more exciting baseball for Baltimore. Yeah, you'd rather not get – like, if you're going to lose, you'd rather not lose 12-3 to 3 every night, right? right? Well, like, on top of that, these guys, Kashner and Cobb, are going to be motivated to pitch that much better so they can get out of here. Correct. Get to a winning team. Give themselves an opportunity to try to win a World Series this year. No question. No question that's going to be something that's going to motivate these guys. And they know. You know, like they, they, they look around. They see the whole thing. These guys aren't dumb. Um, and they know that had they pitched better a year ago, they would have been dealt last year at the trade deadline. The problem was for the Orioles, neither guy was valuable at the deadline a year ago because Alex Cobb had just signed a huge deal and was pitching terribly. And Andrew Kashner was not having a good season and a battled injury as well. So... You know, they know what's going on. They realize what's happening. And this is an opportunity for them to get themselves into a better position overall. Right. And, and for Cashner in particular, he needs another deal, right? Right. Like, you oh, know, yeah. Cobb's still got a couple years, but Cashner's going to need another deal as well. Mm-hmm. And with the rotation, even if they, they pitch well, right, 
Then they're turning over to that, bull, the, that bullpen, which has been a bit of a dumpster fire. You look at the terrible season so far from Mike Wright and Miguel Castro and Richard Blyer, but it hasn't been all bad. You look at guys like Evan Phillips and Paul, Paul Fry. Fry. Yeah. You know, they're pitching really well out of the bullpen, and these are guys who could be around. For the foreseeable future. That, it's the tough part, though, Paul, right? Like, we're at this place now where I feel like in baseball folks will tell you, don't assume that a bullpen arm is going to be a strong bullpen arm for, like, assume you got a bullpen arm that's a pretty good arm for two years and then right. go on to the next guy. So that's a, I think those guys you're more pressed to try to deal. Like, I think there's a question as to maybe why you didn't attempt to deal Castro a year ago, right? Like, why mm-hmm. didn't you attempt? Because I don't know how long you can count on these guys to really have value for you. You, you hope, you know, I mean, I hope one of those guys, I have no idea of which one of these guys could develop into a closer. You know, I, I couldn't possibly tell you who could do that. I don't mind the fact that there's kind of no closer for this team right, right now. That doesn't bother me because that's not what you're looking for. But it's the best way to find trade value in someone is if they go out there and they do get a stretch where they save 10 straight games, something like that, and they look like a more valuable arm come July for a team that needs somebody just to get them through the end of the season. But I, I couldn't even tell. At the moment, I have no clue who they might look at and say, you're going to be the guy to be, you know, if we have 10 save opportunities in a month. I, at the moment, I would just assume they keep giving them to whoever the matchups dictate they should give them to. I just don't think that's going to be a guy at any point this season for the Orioles. Well, yeah, and they, they say it's not smart to have a closer on a rebuilding team because what's the point if you're rebuilding? You're going to finish in last place anyway. So, And I think that the, that the closer of the future, if you can learn how to throw strikes, is going to be Tanner Scott. But that remains to be seen. His velocity would suggest that should be his role, right? Yeah. Like It absolutely would suggest that. Clearly, it's not just velocity. He's got to locate better, and he's been a little all over the place at times. But... Um, yeah, I mean, you, you certainly see why he would be the desirable candidate for that job long term. Right, right. So, you know, rebuilding ball club, a lot of things to work on with the rotation, the offensive defense, and, and the bullpen. Long season to go still, Glenn. I really appreciate you coming on the show Yeah, man, this was fun. I really enjoyed doing this. Yeah, I did too. Hopefully we can have you on again soon. It's, it's easier, by the way, in April, right? Like, you get to July, and you're talking about a team that's, like, really, that just, oh, it just kicks your butt a little bit. Yeah. So if they can just keep things interesting enough for a few months so that we have less misery... I don't really need to have the misery around here. That's not fun. I know, right? Well, we at least we'll have the draft to look forward to. And yeah. we'll have the minor league players who might be coming up by then. So, but, you know, by the way, I'm glad you brought up the draft. This is like the most excited, obviously, when, you know, in, in, in my lifetime, the Oilers have only had one other number one pick, and that being Ben McDonald. But, like, in my adulthood, this is the first time we've ever had this experience, and I'm genuinely excited about you know, like th- this is going to be, and we're all kind of assuming it's Rutschman at the moment. Mm-hmm. This is the face of the franchise the moment Absolutely. that they get drafted. This is the guy. Um, and we have never experienced something like that. I know Matt Weeders to a lesser extent because the cupboard was so bare at the time that he was drafted. And people were really excited about Manny. But this is a really unique. This is unlike anything we've ever experienced before as Orioles fans. Absolutely. Well, Glenn, until next time, appreciate you coming Absolutely, on. Absolutely, man. man. Thanks Thank so you, Paul. Much. And as for us, that's going to do it for the payoff pitch presented by DNL Professional Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. Once again, I'm Paul Valley.